This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Got a great guest with me today, Rhett Strickland. And for those of you that don't know, there's a a pretty awesome clothing brand that specializes in waterfall called Avies. And Rhett is one of the founders of Avies and, and really the guy behind all the product generation and, and design and tech and everything. So pretty excited to, to dig in and, and hear Rhett's story today and the story of Avies and, and everything that they got going on. How are you doing, Rhett? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Doing very good. Very good. Sunny day here in Michigan. We could use a little bit of rain, but other than that, we're doing good. I understand. I understand. Yeah. So let's 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 dive in. Before we get into AVs, let's let's find out who Red is. So um I know you're from Georgia, born and raised in Georgia. Correct. Correct. All right. And I assume I'm just guessing being a, being in Georgia, I know a ton of hunters start early. I assume you started hunting early. I did. Um not quite as early as, as a lot of people. Um, you know, when we were growing up there weren't a ton of waterfowl hunters and we always grew up deer hunting and rabbit hunting with my dad and uh I remember we were on, on one deer hunting lease and there was a couple older guys, um, you know, we were ten, eleven years old deer hunting and there were some older guys that would go down to the river and, and duck hunt and we're ten, eleven years old freezing our butt off in, in the deer stand and we're thinking these guys are insane to go stand in the water, you know. So yeah. um but we didn't have anybody really that close to us that duck hunted. So I started, um, I was probably 15 years old when I started. Um, so not quite as early as a lot, but, uh, yeah, when it, when it bit, it bit hard and, and we never looked back. We, we've hunted ever since. So, so besides waterfall, do you still deer hunt and everything else right now? I do. Um, I, you know, in Georgia, um, the deer we have here, um, I'll hunt deer until waterfowl season opens. And then it's, it's strictly waterfowl for me. I'll, I'll be traveling all over the United States hunting, hunting ducks and chasing geese and stuff but uh yeah i do uh we we hunt pretty much year round you know we got coyotes and hogs that we can hunt year round here in georgia but yeah we turkey hunt deer hunt uh duck hunt everything so okay when does deer season start there in georgia uh well i'm a big bow hunter um okay. I've, I've 
been bow hunting for a long time, and, and that's typically what I do uh, throughout the entire season. So our, our season starts in early September uh, for, for a bow season here in Georgia. Ooh, I bet it's pretty hot down there in early September. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> I, do a, I do a ton of hunting in Kentucky, and I try to always catch the, the velvet opener there in Kentucky, which is the first Saturday. And it seems right. like you get about two and a half hours in the stand in about 98 degree heat. But for some reason, it, it, I really like doing it it's just because it's so different. So, yep, absolutely. No, it's, it's definitely hotter this season. For sure. yep. So when you said you got bit by the old waterfall bug at 15, kind of explain explain that. What, what was your first hunt that, that bit you? Uh, the first hunt we went on was uh, one of our buddies. He just had a, uh, a little swamp area that was a, a beaver dam, uh, you know, swamp style, and walked through there one day and just heard all these wood ducks just take off, and, and it was like, oh, let's try it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we went out with all the waders and everything, and, man, you know, duck hunting in Georgia, especially where we're at, that's typically what you're going to hunt, right? You're hunting 85 to 90% wood ducks the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, but just having them come in right at, right at shooting light and they were just, you know, that was their spot. We were on the X and then didn't even know that, you know, what the X was at, at the time, you know, we were so young and so young into the sport, but you know, we were there and I mean, they're just, you know, coming in there and, and the wood ducks are so fast. If, if they want to, be in a spot they're not going to circle it and you know work like a mallard is they're going to come in there yep. you know hot and heavy and when they did it was just you know it was insane i mean we had all our buddies there and stuff and we're just you know shooting these ducks and you know and then probably about 45 minutes later it's over you know the wood ducks yeah. aren't going to fly up very long in georgia so we're like well that was absolute blast you know shooting ducks and we can still go eat breakfast and do whatever um but yeah just you know that first experience just just having them come in and drop in, you know, it, it, it all played out perfect. And, you know, that's, it's, you know, having one of those hunts as your first hunt is, it can be a curse if you're not really wanting to get into it. Because you you always expect that. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can have a hunt like that and then go on 10 hunts that aren't near as exciting, but you're always going back to that next hunt because you know that the next hunt might be that same experience. Yep, first, ex- exactly, exactly. So, um, knowing that you've hunted waterfall now for a number of years, what's been some of your favorite locations or favorite hunts that you've been on so far? Uh, as far as locations go, um, a few years ago, we went, uh, up to Massachusetts and Rhode Island and, and did the sea duck hunts with a, a guy named Ruben Perez. I believe you've hunted with him before oh, yeah, as well. I know, I know Ruben and, very uh, well. And, you know, we got to know him really well and stayed in touch with him. And, and just that experience is, is such a different experience than what we were used to you know in georgia and even you know we would travel to arkansas and hunt the timbers and stuff like that but that sea duck hunt was just was just so different and then you know honestly that's kind of where i'm at in my in my waterfowl stage is travel to see the different cultures and see the different ways that people hunt you know we went out and hunted montana and you know you know everything was dry fields out there and we're, you know ton of mallards and stuff but we've been out to california multiple times and had a lot of success out there but you know uh we try to try to go to a, a new state um every single year we've got about 10 or 12 you know really close buddies that all duck hunting so we, we try to plan one trip a year just something totally different than than out of our norm um so i don't know that i have a favorite just because they're all so different they all have their own you know perks mm-hmm. um but the sea duck hunt will always stand out just because that was one of my first experiences outside of traditional, you know, hunting rice fields in Arkansas or timber or Georgia hunting or anything like that. So, And those sea ducks can take a wallop too. 
They can. I mean, they can take a wallop and keep going. Did you get on Brant when you went out there with Ruben? We did. So we, uh, we, we called them ahead of time and we were like, you know, we don't want to just do the eiders. We want to do, you know, we want to kill as many different species as as we can. I think in three days we killed eight different species. So it was really cool. So we did the the eider hunts and the layout boats and then we did the brant set up on a, uh, a little like a shell beach island and, uh, shot the brant there. I shot a nice, beautiful, uh, black duck in that location as well. Um, and then we got on the scoters and, uh, some long tails and just, it was, it was a blast. Yeah, he is. Uh, I've hunted with a lot of guys. Ruben, Ruben is a, a pretty special waterfaller guy. He, he is. He yeah. knows his stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I called him when I was doing my waterfall slam, and it was getting towards the end, and we had we had him kind of saved because he's got such a mix. What you just said, right? right? Like I, yeah. I was going to get the Atlantic Brant, like that was one that I had checked off, and then towards the end, it got down to we needed a, a greater scop. And, mm. and so Ruben, I mean, it was day one, right? He got me on a greater scop. He he saved this little little honey hole that he knew some some scop were working and all of a sudden it was it was like that day two we got the brant but that's that's kind of what it is hunting with reuben he's he's dialed in for sure <laughs> yeah that, and that was the way it was with that with that black duck you know we we're headed out there on the boat to, to set up for the brand he was like was well, anybody want to kill a black duck i'm like a new england, yeah. new england black duck yeah i do and he was like all right he said when we set the brand up he said walk 200 300 yards over there there's a, a freshwater creek that pulls in throw these old wooden or old hand carved decoys out there. He gave me three, you know, black duck decoys. Yeah. There were four hand carved by him and his father-in-law, I believe with a wooden head and threw them out there. And sure enough, right at day, like three of them come in and, and I smoked one of them and, you know, stayed in touch with them stuff. And a couple of years later, he actually sent me one of those wood duck. I mean, one of those black duck decoys. I'm having that mounted with the black duck um, that I shot up there. So it'll be a really cool mount. Oh man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what do you have planned coming up this year then? As far as far as spots. Where's the state you guys are going to this year? Uh so I know uh the let's see, three days after Christmas we're gonna be going to Texas. That'll be the first time we've hunted Texas. We're going uh I can't remember the exact location. I know it's West Texas. Um last year our, our big group, we took like twenty seven guys last year to Oklahoma and hunted there. Um, in the previous years, you know, I bounced around between Kansas and, and Arkansas, Mississippi uh-huh. and Georgia and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I know we got Oklahoma, I mean, Texas planned for this year. Um, and that's the only one set in stone, but, uh, I know that I'll be back out to Arkansas several times as well and, and stuff. So we'll probably try to try to pick up one new state other than Texas this year. All right. All right. So through this, through, uh, I guess it, it, walk, walk everybody that's listening kind of through your history. So through high school did you did you go to college what'd you study for and and then after college what'd you do i did yeah so i grew up you know with my dad framing houses you know ever since we were 10 years old and could pick up a pick up a two before you know he had us out there working and stuff and you know honestly i enjoyed it i didn't you know didn't mind it at all um i knew that i wanted to do something outdoors i didn't want to be you know stuck in the office doing the nine to five deal um but framing houses just you know i didn't have a passion for it mm-hmm. um and then in high school, you know, I had a couple of agriculture classes and stuff and, and getting into plants and different things and, you know, talked to some local guys that were doing some, you know, big landscape companies and stuff. And I was like, you know, I could I could do that. So I went down to South Georgia to a college called APAC, uh, agriculture college, and I got my degree for landscape design and grounds management. Um, started a, a landscape company while I was in college and then moved home. And, you know, that's, that's the that's what I did up until eighties. And so I, I did that for, I believe it was 12 years doing landscaping, but I did, you know, more of the 
design and hardscapes, building outdoor kitchens and fire pits and fireplaces and things like that around people's pools and all. And so I've always had kind of that design drawing, uh, you know, in my bag. And I've always really enjoyed that process of it to be able to look at something and it's an absolute blank slate if it's a brand new house design up a beautiful landscape with hardscapes and gazebos and pergolas and everything and then you know actually build it and see it come to life and uh yeah i did that and um you know we were doing that for for years and years and i had them on business running um and then you know that's when we decided to do avies and, and got into that and it was just it was too much to take on both uh careers at one time so i gave up the landscaping and went full-time with avies so explain like what what gave you the idea for AVs along this? And one, and one, I'm guessing because the the landscaping allowed you a little bit of freedom in your schedule too to be able to get out and deer hunt early in the morning, and then when waterfall season came, you can you can do all that. But, yeah, and that was another another reason that I picked landscaping was you know in the winter time there's it, it's such a downtime for the landscaping you know career. So I was like, okay, well I can work all spring and summer and fall, and then you know when duck season starts, there ain't nothing for me to do in landscaping. So I get a duck hunt. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Whole exactly. So that was just, that just was another perk to that job. Um, but yeah, I mean it's just like with anybody else. It was you know going out you know like i said since we were 15 years old and, and you know buying brand new gear every year and everything fails you know man if they would have just done this if they would use this if they would change this it'd be so much better and stuff and it was just you know one of those things where we were just tired of of having all of our gear fail and we just felt that there was a very big need for some advanced products in the waterfowl industry you know everybody else had already kind of uh opened that market up with the big game and started using more technical fabrics mm-hmm. and opened the eyes to the consumer with that. And we're like, well, they've already opened the door for us. You know, people already are seeing the need um, for these more expensive fabrics and, you know, why it's necessary. So they've opened the door, um, but now we need to do it for one um, And so you know, that was, that was the, the big push was just, there wasn't anybody really trying to revolutionize waterfowl. A lot of the other brands were, you know, they had already got branded so much they yep. could put their their brand on anything and it's going to sell but they're not trying to innovate and, and really change the industry and it was just that that passion of being a waterfall hunter and uh, and standing in in cold water leaky waders or or something that didn't didn't keep you dry bad gloves everybody's experienced every everything like that if you're a waterfall hunter and it was just that 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 made you kick off and say hey you know what we're going to do this yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, like, like we, you know, talked about earlier, like I'll always deer hunt, you know, and I'll always love deer hunting, but it's not something I wake up in the morning and just am driven to do uh, anymore. You know, back when I was a kid, yeah, maybe so, uh, but that was before I started waterfowl hunting. And, and, you know, once I got into it and I, you know, had 10, 15, 20 years experience of waterfowl hunting and, and seeing so much different gear sell, it was like, you know, this is my passion. This is what, you know, I get up every day for, you know, I've got to set an alarm to go deer hunting. Yeah. Duck hunting, there, there is no alarm. It's just, I'm, I'm awake an hour before I should just because I'm so pumped to get out there and, and do it and stuff. So, you know, it, it made no sense to, to try to go into, you know, whitetail or big game or anything like that because I would be doing it to chase a dollar, not chase a passion. Yep. And so, um, so that's why we decided to do waterfowl. So once once the idea was, was conceived or, or formated, like, what was what was the next step, right? Like, so you got the idea, and I know there are a lot of people that are listening to this that are that are been in the outdoor industry and have an idea, 
and I love to to hear success stories or stories of how people start brands and and like what was the next step? Well, the the, the biggest step was uh, just to figure out how we were going to be able to change the industry. Mm-hmm. And even if we come out with some really cool, innovative designs, if we're using the same materials, same fabric, same hardware that everybody else is, there's no reason for them to jump shit on, you know, some of the uh, bigger brands and, and come and try our stuff out just because we tweak, you know, a configuration or something like that. And so we're like, okay, well, one of the main things that we want to change is, you know, a lot of these companies, they're all using the same exact fabrics. So there's really not that much diversity between brands other than, you know, them putting their logo on there. And so, you know, we actually, uh, you know, talked about doing it and, and we really wanted to do Tory fabrics. We fell in love with Tory fabrics. We hunted in in Tory fabrics in the past with, with another brand. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we started really researching them and it was like, you know, everything that they're designing with these fabrics was, is it's all scientific based. I mean, and they're designing stuff for, you know, the winter Olympics and, you know, super high stress, high activity level type, um, you know, activities where you got to stay dry. It's got to be breathable. Um, and we are like, okay, well, you know, this is a different fabric. This is something different than, you know, what anybody else has. And going through, you know, some of their lineup on the different fabrics was, it was, it just impressed us that it was so lightweight, so thin, but at the same time being so warm. Um, and we're like, this is what we're missing because we were so used to having these big bulky jackets just to stay warm. And then you go to shoulder your shotgun and there's so much fabric hanging off. It gets caught on the butt of the shotgun yep. and you can't shoulder it correctly and stuff. And we're like, Okay, well, we need to use, you know, these Tory fabrics. And so we were able to get in touch with, with Tory and get an introduction there and, you know, uh, sat down and wrote out a five-year, 10-year business plan and, and presented it to them and, and, you know, just pretty much told them, like, this is, this is not just something we're going into just to, just to do it. This is a passion. This is, we're wanting to actually change the industry with these fabrics. Um, and they're such a, a family, tight-knit family-based type company um they want to build a relationship with you and not just have you you know as a another company on the list Mm -hmm. for and so that was that was the biggest um biggest issue was just being able to get them on board with us and once we solidified that then it comes down to you know trying to figure out how we're going to sell it well the toy fabrics are incredibly expensive but they're worth the money well in order to do that we knew that we couldn't go to retailers just because if they're trying to get their extra 40 50 percent markup you know it's going to be more expensive than anybody on the market and as a brand new company very young in the industry coming in you know it's going to be very very difficult to get our foot in the door that way so we decided you know you know right out the gate hey we'll go straight to the consumer we'll you know have our one-time markup we'll sell them better gear for a cheaper price than the competitors because the competitors have that extra retail markup. Mm-hmm. How, how did you come up with the name Avies? Uh, well, I mean, just like with any other company that you're going to start uh, with a logo or a company name or anything, you go through hundreds. Yeah. And we did. We went through, you know, everything imaginable. And so, you know, our bigger picture, our bigger plan for the company was not just to be strictly waterfowl. We wanted to do everything bird hunting. And so we wanted something that was going to be able to, you know, go across the entire board. And so AVs, you know, anything you've got in the world that's living, um, you've got the scientific breakdown, uh, the kingdom phylum class. And so AVs, 
every single bird in the world falls under the word 80. Mm -hmm. um, and so in, in that scientific breakdown, so we're like, okay, well, it's a short name. It's, it's clever. It works, you know, eventually, you know, and, and, and when I designed the logo, you know, I did it with the, the wood duck head just because, you know, one, nobody does wood ducks and two, we grew up hunting wood ducks. So it just made sense for us. But now, you know, we can venture out, you know, in the years to come and really tackle all of bird hunting. We can go into upland, we can go into turkey, and instead of having to create a whole other, you know, sub-company uh, from our waterfowl company to start these other companies like some of them do, we can just, you know, take that wood duck out, throw a turkey in there, take that turkey out, throw a pheasant in there, and have all these different lines that cover all of bird hunting. Now I've heard I've heard this story secondhand, so I'm looking forward to actually hearing it firsthand. Okay. But how did you come up with the waterfall pattern? <laughs> so like so, again, like again, hearing it secondhand, it's a pretty sweet story, right? So now I'm interested right. to hear it firsthand. Yeah. So I mean, and it was it was one of those things that was really crazy. I mean, it was just out of the blue, and usually those are the best ones that that you know the best ideas how they come about. And so I had already been working, you know on some different camos and stuff just on my computer and I'm not a Photoshop whiz or anything like that, but I was playing around with different patterns and stuff. And, you know, right when we started the company, that was when digital camo was kind of really, you know, making a hit and stuff. So I was playing around with that stuff and just nothing was hundred percent perfect in my mind. And so I was actually up in Ohio hunting with my buddy Mark and he was a big deer hunter and never waterfowl hunted in his life because he's always heard those same stories. Like I was talk talking to you earlier about when I was 15, you know, He's heard those stories of, you know, a guy goes and, and duck hunts and he don't want to deer hunt anymore. And he's like, man, I've got, you know, 190 inch, 200 inch bucks on camera every year. I don't want to give up deer hunting and, and start, you know, get addicted to waterfowl. Yep. And I was like, no, I get it. And so we went up there deer hunting one day and, you know, we're sitting at dinner and just talking and stuff. And I've got my phone out and I'm showing him some pictures of the different camos and stuff that I'm playing around with. And, and you know, again, him not being a waterfowl hunter, he's like, well, isn't like a mallard hen really hard to find? She falls like in the marsh or something. I'm like, yeah, I mean, she's really, you know, camouflage and that's what she's built for. And he's like, well, you couldn't do anything with the feathers? And I'm like, <laughs> I probably could. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so like I literally wrote that down on a napkin and brought it home with me just so I didn't forget, you know, the conversation and got home and, uh, yeah, just started playing around with it. Uh, you know, contacted uh, a buddy of mine, Richard, who was a, uh, he was a graphics designer and I met him through different archery tournaments and stuff. And so we shot bows a lot. And so I called him over and, you know, kind of pitched him the idea and I could already see exactly what I wanted in my mind. Um, uh, but being able to translate that to another human is, is pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had a hen mallard, um, the very first mallard I ever killed as a kid, I had her mounted. And so we took the digital camera and started taking pictures of her breast and, you know, her wings and, you know, the feathers on her head and all these different, you know, angles and stuff. And then took some pictures of a kind of a goose wing that we had mounted and just started playing around with it and putting layers on top of layers and making, you know, some of the layers bigger, some of them smaller and just really playing around with that. And, you know, we went through, I think it was seven different uh, patterns. And so we, you know, finalized one and then we sent it to Torrey. Torrey printed it out on, I believe, a four foot by four foot piece of fabric um and then we just took that straight out to the marsh took it to the marsh took it to the riverbanks took it to the flooded timber and then i took my drone up and the whole idea was i don't care what my camo looks like from my buddy that's standing 30 yards away from me in the marsh or in the timber 
because that's not what a bird sees. Yep. You know, yep. it, it's fine if you're turkey hunting, you can get that perspective because the turkey turkey's going to walk up to you. Well, a bird's not going to walk up to you. They're coming in, you know, from 100 yards out and then 50 and 20 and 10. And so you're going to need to see what a bird sees. And so that's what we did. We took that fabric, we wrapped it around our bodies, took the drone up, and, you know, I took videos of the drone flying in, uh, you know, pretty much mimicking a duck, how they would see us. Uh, took steel shots and everything. Then we'd go back to the computer and look at it. And we're like, okay, well, you know, this area, you know, at this distance, I can still see your human outline. So we need to make some of the macro patterns a lot bigger because if you make everything really, really small, once you get out to a certain distance, everything becomes one color and you can still see your human outline. So you stand out. So we had to really play around with the micro and uh, macro patterns on that. And even some of the macro patterns, you know, from a far distance, you know, two colors side by side are, are completely different. It almost creates a shadow and depth within you. But then when you get closer, some of those macros even break into micros once you get closer. So, yeah, that's that's how it started from a, a napkin in Ohio at dinner all the way to, you know, getting drone footage and trying to, you know, disappear from a bird, you know, up in the sky. Wow. So how long did that, from from the Ohio all the way through the process, how long was it that you actually developed the pattern that you have now? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We went, uh, we actually went pretty quick. Um, you know, when I got home, it was probably two days later, I called, I called Richard. I was like, hey, I've got, a, I've got you know, a project. Let's, let's jump on it. And, you know, we would stay up, you know, I had a barn up at, at my house and I built an office inside there just for AEs. And I mean, me and Richard would be out there, you know, four to five days a week until, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning sometimes. And just just hammering out these different designs and, and trying to really get it to look good on, on computer at first. But, you know, I would say with from when we started designing it until we actually got it on on clothing all the colors perfected and everything would probably be about a nine and a half month process. Uh, and, and that's just everyday grinding, you know? Uh -huh. So, no, I'd say it went fast. It, it's, it's not that fast, but you know, with us, uh, with us grinding as much as we, as much as we did, we were able to knock it out as quickly as possible. And that was a good thing about him too. He had this little device being a graphic designer where he could go and, and scan a really anything with it. And it would come up and tell you the exact Pantone color, um, and so that's what we did. So a lot of these colors actually are Pantone colors directly from that mallard hen's feathers. And so we are trying to mimic that mallard hen 100% all the way down to the Pantone colors that she uses to hide from predators to you know protect her nest. 
Know when and where to hunt with HuntWise. No matter where I am in the world, I'm always dropping pins and tracking my adventures through their mapping features. And one of my favorite features that they have is RutCast. It's perfect to help me know when and where and exactly what stand to hunt during the rut. Search HuntWise in the App Store and use promo code MP25 to get 25% off a Pro or Elite HuntWise membership. Again, that's promo code MP25 for an additional 25% off their Pro or Elite HuntWise membership. Gotta check them out. From my Upland Slam in 2019 to the South America Waterfall Slam in 2022, anytime I'm headed on a wing shooting adventure, I'm always picking up my Benelli shotgun. If you want to dominate the skies, shoot a Benelli. See their full line of Benelli shotguns online at BenelliUSA.com or drop into a retailer near you. Black Bear Bison or Whitetails, it doesn't matter where I'm going or what I'm hunting, Sever Broadhead has the right broadhead for me. They are the best expandable broadheads I've ever used. Give them a try. Right now, use promo code MP5 online at SeverBroadheads.com for an additional 5% off an already discounted product for the best possible deal. Again, that's MP5 at SeverBroadheads.com. No matter where I'm hunting in the world, I'm always wearing my Mindel boots. I guess you could say I sort of live in my Mindel hunting boots. And right now at MindelUSA.com, using promo code MPJourney, you can get a free pair of hunting socks when you order your pair of boots. Again, that's promo code MPJourney at MindelUSA.com. Now back to the journey within. Now, I know you've got... A, a some new lines coming out this year let's just let's you know them all by heart so let's let's take them all like what are the different series that you have here what's the the overall mindset when you came up with with the different series and and so forth what you have now and then we can dig into to what you guys have planned for the future too yeah so the the, the biggest thing with waterfowl hunting um no matter where you go is just is is layering correctly mm-hmm. um it doesn't matter you know even you know if you're out and it's 20 degrees, but you've got to put out 20 dozen decoys or 30 dozen decoys, you're going to start building up sweat and building up, you know, uh, sweat. So you've got to be able to layer correctly to, you know, stay cool. And that was, you know, ever since, you know, day one, even with the drifter series, the very first series that we come out with, we were always trying to be able to regulate your body temperature without drastically changing it. So, you know, on the early season drifter series stuff, you know, with the pants, you have the leg zips to dump the heat. You have the pit zips in the jacket to dump the heat. And that's just going to allow you to regulate your body temperature without, you know, having to take your whole jacket off. Then you get cold then you put it back on and you get warm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to do that. And, you know, the drifter series is, you know, really just an incredible series all the way across the board for just about anywhere you hunt. And, and we've taken it everywhere. But, you know, once it gets down into the single digits and down into the, you know, low teens and stuff, you're going to need extra layers. And that's where the bearing series is coming in. And, and that's one that we just launched and it's brand new for this year. And so it's a, a bearing series jacket and a bearing series bib. And, <clears throat> excuse me, these, these items are, um, they're designed for that extreme late season hunt. Um, where you don't, and you don't even have to layer underneath, underneath them mm-hmm. really hardly at all. Um, and, and that's even into, you know, the single digits and, and, you know, low teens and stuff. It's just, it's incredibly warm. Uh, the exterior fabric on this is, is it's all Tory fabrics. So it's a Dermazex EV shell. So it's a completely waterproof, very, very breathable. Um, you know, and, and, you know, if you go look at other companies, they're not going to tell you 
how waterproof it is or how breathable it is. And, and we would always get people to come into the, the AV shop when we had that. And they're like, man, I had this one jacket and they said it was waterproof and I got soaking wet. Well, yeah, but they didn't tell you the waterproof, uh, how waterproof it is. You know, right. there's different layers of the waterproofness. And so everything we're using uh, with a Dermazax EV is 20,000 plus, which is the highest rating you can get for waterproofness as well as breathability. And so you want you want both of those. You want it to be waterproof to keep you dry, but it has to be breathable for when you do start to build up sweat um, so that you can release that so you're not getting wet underneath your garments. Um so this Dermazax EV is extremely waterproof. Um, like I said, 20,000 plus is the highest rating you can go on the waterproofness. And, you know, just durability is, is you know, second to none. We do have uh, a disc, just like the Drifter series, we do have actual Kevlar fabric anywhere you have more wear and tear item, uh, wear and tear areas. So on the jacket, you've got actually padded elbows. So if you're, you know, laying in a dry field or something like that and laying down, you've got uh, pads in your elbows. Same way with the bibs, you've got padded knees as well as a padded butt and all of that's wrapped in Kevlar. Just those high wear tear areas, um, we, we you know, went an extra uh, layer of Kevlar on top of the fabric for that. And with the ability to use this in such a, a cold environment, it's, it's incredible that it feel not that big, bulky, unnecessary jacket like I was talking about earlier. It's mm-hmm. still a very, very good form fit to where you're not going to have all this extra fabric hanging off and catching you know, your shotgun or anything like that. And we're able to keep it slim and, and form fitting, because, and, but also keep it extremely warm because of Torre's insulation. So on these, we use a uh, 3DFX uh, synthetic insulation, which is... Um, it, it's better for waterfowl hunters than down feathers because with down feathers, you got to coat the fabric so that the feathers don't pop out. Well, once you coat the fabrics, you really cut down on your breathability. And so then you're going to start sweating a lot more. So, you know, with waterfowl hunters out there putting out decoys, mm-hmm. changing decoys, working dogs, everything like that, you're moving so much, you need something that's going to breathe. And so this 3FX insulation, um, being that it's synthetic, we don't have to coat any of the fabrics. It, 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 it's not going to be able to pop, pop through uh, you know, the exterior of the fabric or anything. So um, it's still, you know, a nice form fit jacket and bib, but it's going to keep you incredibly warm. All right. And what was, was the Drifter series the first one you came out with? Yeah. So, well, we started off with a Drifter series jacket and uh, pant. And then we also had the Stratum 50 hoodie and the Stratum uh, 50 face mask. And the Stratum series, um, that's a Carishi fleece by Torre. And it was specifically designed to be able to use that that uh, Stratum hoodie throughout the entire season. So mm-hmm. early season, when it's still kind of warm, you can wear that as just your outer layer piece. But then later in the season, when it does get colder, you can actually put that underneath the dripper jacket, and it's a great mid-layer. Um, but, you know, knowing that some people are going to use it as an outer layer, even though it's a just a basic hoodie, we still gave you the same key features that you're going to, you know, need out of a jacket, out of the outer layer. So you still have your high hand pockets um, and things like that in a hoodie version uh, for those earlier season hunts. Um, and then, you know, we've kind of branched out on, on all of the different series. You know, we just released a Drifter vest, which is 
you know, it's the same as the drifted jacket, just no sleeves and, and no hood. Um, and then we've got, you know, several other things in the pipeline. We, we actually just released the waiting storm shell, uh, which it's, it's the same uh, Dermazac CD shell uh, fabric as the bearing series. It's just an uninflated rain shell. Um, so, again, you can wear it year round, early right. season when it's hot. Um, but, you know, you're going to be hunting in the rain and you need some kind of shell. You can wear that and you're not going to get too hot. Later in the season, if you have the hoodie and the dripper jacket and you know it's going to rain, you can throw that on and, you know, you don't have to worry about anything that way either. But, you know, and all of these with the bearing and the waiting storm shell, just the amount of wind that it knocks down. I mean, you know, we even had some of the prototypes up there with Reuben in Rhode Island. And, you know, we're on his duck boat running, you know, 30 miles an hour mm -hmm. and just, you know, with the wind and rain and everything, and, you know, we're bone dry and you don't feel any wind coming through. It just completely cuts the wind. That's awesome. And I've, I've seen a few of your bags in the field before, <laughs> and I know you got the, the two different bra the bags. You've got the, the elite pack, which is like a backpack and then the blind bag. Yep. Now, anybody that's listening, like head to the AVs, avshunting.com, their website and check these bags out because you can a hundred percent tell a, a waterfall hunter designed them from living experiences. So just take that, the additions that you did to both bags that, that really make it like when you're in the field, it's got everything that you would want attachments, where to hang it and everything. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and that was one thing about when we started, started the brand, we're like, we want to be, you know, different than all these other big corporate brands. We want to be extremely engaged with our customer base, with our followers and stuff. And so, on Instagram and Facebook, the very first post that we ever posted was, hey, I'm designing this bag. What do y'all want to see out of it? What do you like about the bags you have? What don't you like about the bags you have? You know, I want all y'all's feedback because for me living in Georgia, I can design an incredible bag that's going to work perfect in Georgia, but it might not be something somebody needs in California or in New York or in Montana. And so I wanted to get all that feedback. And actually some of the designs that went into this backpack, uh, the original hybrid elite pack weren't even in the very first design. You know, they were, you know, things that, you know, our followers said, Hey, I want to see this. And so we added it to it and it was a great idea. And so, you know, that really helps us connect with them and, and make them feel like they're more part of the company because they really and truly were doing this for them. This mm -hmm. isn't just for us. Um, and so, yeah, I started off with a backpack and there were two main problems with backpacks in the hunting industry. One was all of them opened up from the top, like a, you know, backpack from school, like a Jan sport backpack. Well, you throw everything in there, and the one thing you need is always on the bottom. Always you're just on the bottom. Through it, trying to find your headlamp or, you know, whatever it may be, and you're fumbling through it in the dark with gloves on, and it was just a nightmare. And so I designed this bag to where the front flap folds down uh, and opens up the entire uh, uh, pack system, and then we built a shelving system in there. And we went through, I think it was four different shelves to, to get the correct one where I can throw four or five boxes of shelves only shelf and it's not going to bend it's not going to you know cave in or anything it's going to hold everything you need um and then you know we added the one inch lip on the front so if anything's rolling around it's not going to fall off the shelf so now when you open up this backpack you've got three different compartments there where everything is separate organized and just easily accessible and so that's all the the whole organization part of having a backpack and then the other big problem was if i've got a backpack on and i'm walking into you know, my area to hunt and I've got my gun with a gun sling on mm -hmm. and I'm trying to put it over my shoulder where I've already got a backpack on. They're fighting for real estate on my shoulder. And yep. so the gun's always falling off your shoulder. And so on that front flap that folds down, 
we've actually got a gun tote uh, integrated into this uh, bag system. So your gun actually slides, you know, the butt of your uh, gun slides down into the slot, and then you have uh, two buckles, straps it in, it's in the center of your back. And that was, you know, one of the things that we changed in the prototype phase. Originally, I had it on the side of the backpack, which was nice, but it was just so much weight on one side, it was very uncomfortable. Now we moved it to the center of your spine, keeps the gun, uh, you know, a good distance away from your head, but it just makes it so much easier to carry. Um, and it's a lot more comfortable being in the spine. It, it just distributes that weight a lot better. Um, and then, you know, one one other problem that we had with a lot of the blind bags and backpacks was there was, if you would open them up and you didn't have them 100% full, they would just kind of collapse on themselves and mm -hmm. fall through and you're kind of pulling them back open. And so on both of these bags, we actually have hard shell, uh, PE uh, hard shell all the way through the exterior of the bags as well as the bottom and stuff. And so once you open this bag up, it's not going to collapse. It's not going to fall down. Um, but, I mean, I could talk about the hybrid leap pack for, you know, 45 minutes just going through all of the different accessories and stuff on it. Um, and then we just had, you know, just listening to our customers, they're like, hey, you know, what about a smaller bag, just a traditional over-the-shoulder blind bag? They're like, all right, let's do it. And so we did that, and it's, it's, you know, it's realistically just a, you know, smaller brother of the backpack. It's got all the same key features. It's just in a blind bag design, um, per se, but both of these bags, we call them the hybrid because you can literally use them anywhere you hunt, no matter how you hunt. If you want to hunt, you know, on a dry field, you know, even the hybrid elite pack, the big backpack, mm -hmm. you lay it down flat. Every zipper, every pocket was specifically designed to open up so that your stuff is always upright, no matter if it's hanging on a tree or laying on the ground. So now your shelving system turns into dividers. And so now you still have everything, you know, separate and organized from and both these packs do have a uh, integrated tree strap in them. So you can hang these, uh, both of these packs directly to the tree. Each one has four accessory hooks uh, on those straps. So you can hang up, you know, your uh, game code or your shotgun um, or anything like that on those accessory hooks as well. Um, so we're just trying to create a pack where no matter where you're hunting, you know, if you're hunting, you know, in one scenario one day and then you're hunting, you know, timber the next day, well, you can still use the same pack. You don't have to move all your gear to a different pack. It's going to better suit that hunt. Uh, uh -huh. This one will be more. Now, also for waterfall hunters, you have to check out the shirts. Um, everybody likes the merch. The flyway t-shirt that I saw is actually probably one of the most genius designs that I've seen. Like, who do you also come up with with like that t-shirt design and everything else yeah yeah so i designed that one um along with you know everyone that we've ever used and, and stuff and you know with that t-shirt you know originally we were thinking well we could do four different t-shirts and you know one of them will have the eastern flyway one of them will have the mississippi flyway yeah. and then we played around with it and we're like you can't even tell what it is let's just do the entire united states split them up into four different flyways and no matter where you hunt that shirt's gonna, you know, it, it's gonna mean something to you because yep. you're a waterfowl hunter in general. And so, and yeah, I mean, so we started playing around with that and just split the United States up into four different major flyways. And um, yeah, that's been one of our hottest sellers uh, since day one. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really cool design. And like I said, it just it, it connects with everybody um, across the board. Well, that that one, I have to admit, the first time I saw it, like I saw the shirt and I didn't didn't know anything about it, right? And I saw it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, what, what is that? Why is it split like that? 
And then I'm like, there's no way that's split in the waterfall zones. And then you see the, the AVs logo on the sleeve and you're like, that's it. That is, they split it yep. in, 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 <laughs> in the flyways. And you're like, that's awesome. Just as a waterfall guy, you're like, that's awesome. Right. And like you get right. the thinking outside the box for a waterfall guy, which is, which is sweet. So I know there's some stuff you can probably talk about. Don't don't go into any more detail than 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 what you want to. But like, so you've got you've got the base, right? You got the base of all the products here. What's next? Like, what what where's AVs going from here? What are the other the other products that they're going to come out with? Well, I mean, what everybody needs. I mean, and and that comes down to the the probably the two most complained about items in waterfowl hunter is uh gloves (laughs) because nobody has seemed to you know uh perfect a lightweight thin glove that you can shoot out of that's still warm um that's one of the biggest things that that everybody complains about and then the other thing is waders um and you know that's been that's been one and i actually got an email about it yesterday hey when are they coming out with waders because you know we've been you know telling everybody hey we're working with tori uh tori has an incredible waiter fabric that we're working with um and and so different things are, are in the prototype phase and of course you know just along with the series you know with the bearing series and stuff all of that stuff will expand into more face masks and, and beanies and different things like mm-hmm. that and we've already got some of them uh already through the prototype phase that, that's going into production uh here very shortly uh that'll be ready next year um but yeah i would say the two biggest things um you know, would be the, the warm glove that you can still use and shoot with. Um, and then the waders are the big thing. But, yeah, we've got, you know, different bag systems and, and all, all kinds of stuff that's in the prototype phase that's very close to completion um, that we should be pumping out uh, here this, this upcoming season. Um, or not this season, but next season um, and really expanding all of these lines across the board. Awesome. So what is like what's the process in in time for when you're saying, OK, we use gloves, right? So I'm going to come up with, with this glove, and this is my idea behind it. What's the process and timing for, like, okay, we're going to do it to when we finally have the first one that you can try out to when you finally comes and we're going to have something to sell? Uh, so, I mean, everything's a little bit different, right? So as far as, like, you know, like say our drifter jacket or the bearing jacket, for for instance. I mean, the bearing jacket and the bearing bib were five years that – that was in the prototype phase. Now that's a drastic time to be in the prototype phase. But if you look at the very first uh, bib and very first jacket in that bearing series, it's not even the same fabric. Um, I mean, it's completely different, but we test it and test it and test it and take it everywhere and beat it to death. And once something fails, we're like, all right, we got to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, now when you're talking about a glove or, you know, you know, like I said, we got, you know, beanies and, and, you know, new face masks. I mean, it was two prototypes uh, and it probably took three months from my first design to having a finalized product, but a face mask and a beanie, as far as design goes, there's not that much into it. It's really just perfecting those fabrics and and the fit and kind of the same way with the gloves. Um, They're not going to be, you know, that intricate um it's not like a jacket where you're doing all these different pocket configurations and, and different sizing and stuff i mean the glove you'll have a couple couple different sizes available um but you know for something like that that's more simplistic uh you're looking at probably about six month process um you know probably about a month and a half of me designing it getting all the specs down all the measurements all the fabrics that i want exactly the insulation that i want the, the buckles um, things like that, getting that to Torre, having them 
you know, run through the prototype phase. And, and like I said, most stuff like that is, is fairly simplistic. Uh, the second prototype is, is usually always uh, just perfected and then it's ready to go into production. So Okay. All right. Well, that's exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the new products you guys roll out here for next year and, and the years beyond that. Absolutely. So, so if you look ahead, we'll end, end this last part. I got a couple things on social media I want to talk about with you and then and but but first, like if you had one spot to pick and go waterfall hunting that you haven't been, what is it? For me it would be uh, Alaska for the King Iyer. Okay. Um, that's just, that's, uh, that's always been a dream. And I know that it's a absolute grind and, and one of the worst hunting experiences you can, you can well, try to try to go for, but that's what I'm, that's what I want. You know, that's, that's, that's where the memories come in. You know, I can go and, and have these incredible hunts in Arkansas flooded timber and just have, you know, the Mallard's angel wing coming through the timber and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's beautiful. But if the weather's not bad and stuff like that, it's like, it's just another hunt. Yeah. I want the absolute grind to where I'm never going to forget it. You know? Yeah, no, that, that one would be a great one to put the, uh, the, the Baron to the test, right? The Baron, that's what Absolutely. the Baron, that's what the Baron line is for. It's meant, it's for. To, meant yeah. to hunt Kings. It's, it's sea duck hunting. It's that late season goose hunt in the field to where the wind's whipping. And you got nothing to protect you. Like that's, yeah. that's what it is. And I've, I haven't hunted Alaska yet, but I did the King in, in Greenland. And the one I saw from shore, it was about 30 mile an hour wind of just these little ice pellets. Just, I mean, just beating you down. Absolutely. Um, but it was, it's probably one of the most memorable days that I had in, in waterfall hunting, right? It, everything yeah. led up to yeah. it. My, my feet were cold. We bounced a little different rock islands. We we had got into a ton of common eiders and this was the last spot that we were stopping at before we were getting in the boat, heading back. And you, you set up and it was the last Island in, in, in the cook Island chain, right? You're right there. You can see the, the water breaking over the reef about 300 yards away. And you're like, you're the oceans right there. And then all of a sudden it took that one King just to do it at about 40 yards. And, and I'll always remember that. It's just one one of those things that's so different. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's why that would probably be number one on my list, just because, there's only, you know, a handful of places you can even kill them. You know I mean? There's a ton of birds I would like to go and kill and, and hunt and stuff. But, you know, just like when we were up there with Ruben, you know, we got Harlequin at 10 yards by the boat, but you can't shoot them on the East Coast. Yep. And it's like, right, well, I need to go to Alaska and kill one of those too, you know. Um, but, yeah, the king, I mean, that'll, that'll be the, the ultimate goal for me is, is get, getting out there and hunt, hunting the king, whether it be Greenland or Iceland or wherever. Yeah, and then once you get it in your hand, you don't want to let it go. You just hold it like, <laughs> like a cherished football. You're not letting it go anywhere. You're not putting Absolutely. down on a rock or anything. Yeah. Constantly calling the taxidermist, hey, when yeah. is, when is yeah. it yeah. How's it coming? <laughs> everything good over there? <laughs> no, so I, and I know you've got some young kids, right? Yes. Are they, are, how old are they? So, um, I've got an older, uh, son, he's in college right now. Um, and then I've got my daughter, she's 11 and then my son, uh, he's seven. So, okay. Now does, does your older son or your kids, are they into hunting? Uh, so my youngest son, he's absolutely addicted to it. Uh, my daughter, she's, she hasn't got into hunting, but she loves going out and shooting guns and stuff. So we'll go out and, and just target practice with her and she, she enjoys it. But my youngest son, he got bit, uh, last year, uh, last deer season. So, you know, he was, you know, 
a smaller seven-year-old and stuff, and I, you know, I got a, a two forty-three for him. But you know, even the used stock was still too big. So I was like, well, I guess you can use my AR because I can fold the stock down all the way to with it. And so I said, do you want to try and hunt this year? And you know, he had been hunting with me for you know two or three years, but never behind the gun. And so I took him out target practicing uh, with a two-two-three, and I mean, he's busting it, you know, busting the uh, ten-inch plate at a hundred yards and stuff. I'm like, I think you're ready. You good? And he's like, all right, let's go. And so we went out. Uh, opening day for for youth season um and he shot his first doe and it was just like a light switch turned on him he was just absolutely addicted to it and you know i told him you know if he killed a big buck i'd get it mounted for him for his first buck uh-huh. um and so that was on a saturday he shot his doe we went back out that following wednesday and he shot him a nine pointer um and just absolutely demolished it it ran like 25 yards and folded up and uh, so I told him, you know, we were headed to the taxidermy with it. And I told him, I said, hey, I got some ducks here, you know, that he's trying to finish up for me. He's like, can I put one in my room? I'm like, no, those are my ducks. Like, yeah. You got to kill one. And he just gets silent in the back of the truck. And then about five minutes later, he's like, when's waterfowl season open up? <laughs> so That's like, awesome. He, so like, he was like, well, I want to get my own duck, you know. And so uh, last year, you know, he went deer hunting um, and killed those two deer. And then, you know, went several more times trying to shoot some more does and just didn't have the opportunity. But as soon as waterfowl season, I got him some waders and stuff. And we went out there trying to get him his first duck. And it, it didn't happen, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, he, he's bit with it. So I bought him a new shotgun for, for Christmas and stuff. And so he's eat up with it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's that's kind of how it is. I've I have three kids as well, and out of the three, one one has got the bug right. Like he, one yeah. gets bit by it, the other ones have have done it numerous times with me. But I've I've got one of the three that that's in the field, and that's Shelly, my youngest. She's she's in the field with me a lot. So awesome. Yeah. So since you've been since you started hunting, and this I'm, I'm going to lead you into a question, but I'm not going to let you know what the question is yet. So yeah. since you've started hunting. How has hunting changed? Like uh, the whole, um, I guess, atmosphere around hunting or how it's perceived and, and so forth. And then like just when you go to the field, when if you remember back when you were 15 on your first waterfall hunt, what you had with you, what is different than when you go today? Um, I would say for, for me personally, I mean, now that all the gears, you know, completely different and everything, I mean, that's just – it makes it so much more enjoyable to go out and stay warm and stay dry and stuff. Um, you know, the gear has definitely changed. Um, I've seen a big push, um, which I'm sure everybody across the United States has seen it, um, in waterfowl hunting. When we were in high school, we literally had more properties to hunt than we had time to hunt. Yep. Um, nowadays, it's like pulling teeth trying to find a piece of property to hunt because there's so many young kids getting into it and i absolutely love it 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 makes it more difficult for me to go find a new spot to hunt but i love to see that the sport is continuing to grow and more people are getting into it um and you know i've I've talked about this with a couple other people too but you know um aside from the gear changing and more people getting into it and stuff like that you know my perspective on hunting has changed drastically um even even especially in waterfowl hunting um you know when i was 15 years old my ultimate goal was to go out there and kill a limit uh-huh. which is you know great and it's yep. all fun but it's, it's changed so much and then it was you know my first dog i want to see that first retrieve and then it was you know taking my dad out for his first duck hunt because he's never done it and seeing him get his first duck and seeing his eyes light up and now you know i would say you know traveling and seeing these different cultures and seeing how different people hunt and different you know species of ducks and how you hunt them and stuff is, is really big on my list of, of 
things that I really enjoy about this about the sport. But now that my son's hunting, it's like, okay, well, you know, I got to see his first duck mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff. So, you know, as a waterfowl hunter, your priorities change so much as you, as you grow in the sport and as you have kids and, and different things like that. So it's always something new, always something interesting, um, you know, and, you know, like I said, just traveling and seeing all these different species and seeing the different ways that people hunt and the culture around and stuff is just, is so intriguing. All right. So that leads in, that leads into this one. So, and I've, I've, I've got to ask this on the show because sometimes it brings up some good, some good topics and so forth of, of past experiences and, and so forth. Social media, good or bad for hunting? Both. Explain, you got to explain why now. Well, I think it's good and bad for anything, for yeah. a business, for anything like that. Um, if it's used correctly, uh, it can be just an incredible asset for anybody that uses it. Um, you know, you open the door on specifically for hunting industry, uh, whether it be species or a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you open the door for the First Amendment where everybody can speak whatever they believe. Um, and so, you know, you're going to get hate uh, no matter if you're just a typical everyday hunter and you're posting a bunch of pictures of your hunting success or fishing success or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but also, if you're a business in the hunting industry, you you open yourself up uh to that negative talk but um at the same time especially for a business or brand um you know it would be for for the way we started 80s um in the beginning i would say it would be almost impossible for us to be where we are without social media Mm -hmm. um it has been such a a huge help for us to get the brand in front of people and not only that, just to connect with all these other people. I mean, I've hunted with several people that I never would have met if it weren't for Aves and mainly for social media with Aves itself, because, you know, I'm always trying to stay engaged with everybody and stay, you know, connected with them and, and get their input and stuff. And then I'll have somebody go, Hey, I've got, you know, these ducks out in, in California and come out here and shoot, you know, the spree, the mallow, whatever you want to do. All right, I'll see you next year. You know, and, and I've, and I've done that. I've met people that, you know, I never would have met without social media. Um, I think if you use it correctly, um, you can still get, you know, some of that negative feedback by, you know, people that don't hunt and don't understand um, the reasoning behind it. But overall, um, I think it is very positive, um, you know, and you can always have some of those kids that that post pictures of hunting and stuff that they shouldn't. um, If they're not doing it legally, if they're not doing it the right way, that's that's where you really get the, the negative stuff coming in. Yep, for sure. For sure, that was that was well said. Well, Rhett, I'm excited to watch the AVs brand grow just because of the niche it's in. Um, your story and in, in starting it and, and knowing what it takes to start a brand in the outdoor industry and, and stay with it and be successful and so forth. There's a lot a lot of hard work, a lot of hours that go into that. So best of luck on on everything. And and we're gonna have to do is after. This coming waterfall season, it sounds like you're going to be on the road quite a bit as we're going to have to hop on again, and you can tell us some stories from from you in the field. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, and I appreciate it. That's perfect. Thank you, sir, and have a great day. All right. You as well. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? Then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747 
or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, give the team a call at 1-800-775-8247. Enjoy your journey.